Welcome to What's Next, a podcast dedicated to the future of leadership and building the capabilities to embrace the future of work. Every few weeks, we interview experts and thought leaders from around the world on their unique contribution to the fields of agility, innovation, leadership, and change. My name's Peter Holliday, and my co-host today is work futurist David Yates. All right, welcome to the What's Next podcast with Dave and Pete. Uh, today, we have Trace Bell. G'day, Trace. Thank you guys so much. Good day. Although we don't really say that here in the States. Um, how, how, how are you doing, sir? Maybe is what we say here in the, in the States. No, I'm just kidding. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I'm really excited to talk with you too. Absolutely, mate. Definitely. Check in. What are we going to do to check in today? I was thinking about um, what's the funniest joke you've heard recently. And all I could think of was the jokes my kids have been telling me, which have been horrendous. So yep. I don't know. What's an easy check in for this morning? Or this afternoon where you are, Trace. I got it. Uh, what do you call a mix between a pit bull and a shih tzu? What's that? You, you know, those two. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm going to go on top of that. And so what's the definition of a shih tzu? What? What, what is zoo it? zoo with no animals. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That one, was, that one was way better than mine. <laughs> You just totally showed me off I'm on that out. one. That was, yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Well done. <laughs> awesome. Trace, where are you joining us from? I am in East Bay, California right now. So just about like 15 miles east of San Francisco. Okay. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being here. Um, today we're talking about spiral dynamics and about... Um, uh, I guess the simple way you kind of are able to capture that, I'm really keen to make sure we have a conversation about that. Um, but for those sort of coming to this for the first time, maybe give a bit of a background about yourself, what you do, and then zoom in a little bit about Spiral Dynamics and what that means to you. Yeah, so I'm, my name is Trace Bell, and I teach spirituality and consciousness to people and organizations. My father uh, is a man named Rob Bell, who's a author, spiritual teacher, creative. Um, it's kind of really hard to put him in a box. He's a musician. He does a lot of different things. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that some, maybe some of your audience uh, is familiar with him. Um, and I, so I, I teach with him um, and I work with people directly on their own growth journeys. And I work with organizations, teaching them consciousness. Uh, and that's, that's what really gives me life. And I love working with, I love working with people on uh, their personal growth journeys and how they can be better, more healthy uh, human beings. I grew up with my dad talking and uh, about a lot of these topics and teaching people. So I kind of grew up in these waters and then I had my own journey that I had to go on before I was able to really start teaching people and helping them with their journey. Uh, so that, that's, awesome. that's, what I, that's how I would define what I do is I, I help. I think co consciousness has always been the thing that's been most interesting to me my whole life. So if, what I really boil it down to is I, I teach consciousness, which I know is kind of vague, but it's the, the term that I like to use the most when I describe my work. Absolutely. And I think certainly in our circles, Pete, we've, we've um, run into this called um, vertical or even ego development in some spaces. It all depends on, on where you come from. And so for everyone who's uh, potentially got a, a background that doesn't necessarily engage with this kind of conversation on a regular basis, don't switch off just yet. This is on purpose kind of conversation to have um, a bit of a closer look at consciousness development and what that means to get a bigger, broader perspective of the world around you and some of the intangibles that come along with it. And I think that's really going to be the 
the value for those people looking to link it to uh, either leadership development, culture development, or organizational development going forward is the fact that, you know, many theorists have talked about uh, the development of the ego in the individual sense and what I think will be really valuable about people because it's a lot of questions we're getting now around the pandemic and how to mobilise teams remotely mm. and do all those kinds of things is that this individual development also flows out into the collective and so there's these cultures that happen in organisations and teams that also can progress through various levels of complexity and perspective taking and seeking and, you know, there would be, I think, a general belief that's held that the more you progress, the more perspectives you can hold, the more effective you probably are as a team mm -hmm. and therefore hopefully as an organisation and how you navigate teams and organisations that are at different stages of this collective journey. I think that's what people are going to find really valuable and so be interesting to see how we can link that together with your work, Trace. All right, well, let's jump straight into Spiral Dynamics and understand what this is, because at the moment it's it, we keep referencing it and most people on this are listening to this are probably going to be like, what are these guys talking okay. about? Um, so g give us, I guess, the Cliff Notes version, what is it? And then let's maybe jump through and step through some of these colours. Yeah, so Spiral Dynamics is a psychological development model that maps the patterns of growth in individuals and collectives. So it maps how humans and individuals grow uh, over time and also how groups of people grow over time. So it's a, it was developed by sure. uh, a guy named Don Beck, Claire Grays, and Christopher Cohen. Those are really the three guys that are, are the main sort of, when people uh, talk about who developed Spiral Dynamics, those are really the, the three main guys. Um, and what Spiral Dynamics does is it shows how our value systems change over time as we grow psychologically. So it shows different stages that humans grow through. So Spiral Dynamics has the ability to show us um, how human, humans have grown throughout history, and it also shows us how we've grown throughout our own lives individually. So it has all these different uh, uses, and that's, that's the real power of this framework is that it has so many different uses. We can use it to better understand history. We can also use it to better understand ourselves and our own growth. We can use it to understand societal and cultural dynamics. But the, the main sort of way that I would encapsulate it is that it's a model that maps the patterns of, of development psychologically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. It's fantastic. Um, any, any thoughts from your point of view on where you've seen this used well? Uh, just, just overall, just in, in any... Yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, I think as, as a political science major, uh, spiral dynamics was huge for me for connecting a lot of dots and um, seeing uh, the political playing field from a different perspective. When you when you use a psychological um, development model to look as a lens to look at the world through, it explains a lot of the dynamics of how people relate to each other and how people orient themselves towards each other. So. Um, for, for uh, Ken Wilber, is a, the philosopher Ken Wilber um, is someone that writes about spiral dynamics and has done a lot of great work in contributing to the model. Um, and the way, that he he, the way that he writes about it um, and, and uses it to understand and explain how uh, all these different aspects of society relate to each other is, is really powerful. Um, I've watched my dad teach it growing up. Um, and watched him have some really, watched him ha um, make people have some really profound insights into their own work and into what things were working for them, what things working for, weren't working for them. Uh, Spiral Dynamics really is 
uh, powerful and that it provides language that to something that a lot of people have felt. A lot of people have felt and experienced and kind of intuited a lot of uh, the things that Sprawl Dynamics maps and talks about. So when Sprawl Dynamics, when you present it to them, it oftentimes to a lot of people, I've this like most people I, I work with when I present it and teach it to them, um, it is they're like they already just intuitively get it because they've already felt so many of the dynamics that it that it maps. Um, so I've seen so many. Um, I've, I've, I've seen businesses that, that are, have used it and used it to better understand, uh, their, their clients. I've, I've seen people that, um, speak to do public speaking and speak to a lot of different kinds of audience and have used the spiral to, um, tailor and craft their message to speak to different, uh, audiences. I've seen it, I've seen it used in a lot of really profound ways. Yeah. I think not to get too political, but I can remember Obama's, I think it was his second acceptance speech when he became president for the sex, second time and he, you could li- hear him weave the spiral into his accept, like all the way down from the people making cars in Detroit all the way up to the, you know, political left liberals. Like he was really, I just sat there and listened to it and I said, wow, there's a real masterclass in in navigating and writing the spiral through your messaging and he was really exceptionally good at it being able to connect all the way from the bottom of the spiral all the way to the top. That's a fantastic specific example. And yeah, I, I, I've thought of Obama too when I thought about, when I thought about someone that was using the spiral. Um, whether, I, I don't, it'd be really interesting to know if Obama was, had, is familiar with the spiral and, and I'm sure he is um, because he really was, you're, you're absolutely right, on that, cam- on that 2008 campaign trail, um, you could really see him able to hit all these different notes because he understood all these different um, stages and all these different value systems of specific people. So he was able to tailor and craft messages to specific people that really worked. And, I, and that's, a, that's a fantastic example of someone really using it in a strategic way. Now, we're chewing around the core of the apple a little we bit. We are here, a little. But, but that's on purpose because I want people to understand how it's applied mm. before we get into the specifics of, of the, the, I guess, the individual elements. <laughs> So what might be interesting, Trace, is to say when it comes to using it in companies before we get into yeah, totally. before we take a big bite of the apple is just like how have you seen it being useful in companies? Because I've personally used it in leadership development programs into understanding cultures and subcultures where which, you know, where's the organisation at, where a particular team culture is at and I think that's quite valuable in leadership and people get quite a lot of insight out of that very, very quickly. So I'd be interested to know the context that you've used it in and where you've seen it being really beneficial when it comes to organizations? Yeah, so um, I think for organizations, first off, it's really helpful for them understanding the, their own people within their organization. So I, I presented it to you know leaders of organizations and it's just it's helpful just for them understanding the dynamics between their own employees and their own members of their own organization. When they're understanding the, the different values that, that, that People within their organizations are at different levels of development. There's no, it's really rare to find an, or I don't want to say there's no organization, but it's really rare to find an organization or any group of people where every single person within that group is at the same level of development. So when an organization um, is presented a framework that shows these different levels of development, then it really hel- it's really helpful for them for understanding how the people within that organizations are relating to each other. So th- like, you know, this is why so-and-so and so-and-so might disagree on a lot of issues within the organization. It just helps them see that both of those people within the organization have, diff- have simply different perspectives and it's just simply different levels of development. Um, I, 
uh, have presented to organizations and I've seen how helpful it is for just helping them overall see the future of um, development and seeing where uh, they can develop as an organization. What Sprawl Dynamics shows is it shows you know, how psychological development has transpired over history, which also shows us where psychological development is going as well, where mm. the future of development is going. So presenting it to organizations and just showing them like, hey, this is where, uh, this is where development is headed. And this is actually how, as you evolve, um, as you evolve your own psyche and, and develop, um, this is this is what your organization looks like, and there's a um, there's a book called uh, Reinventing Organizations by this guy named Frederick. Uh, La- I don't know how to say his last name. Laluz. It's L. Lalu. You, are you familiar with it, Pete? Yeah, I was just I'm about to, to mention it. In the bookcase behind it. Yeah, so I, I, I would I would recommend anyone that wants to that that's listening that really would want to dive more into this fantastic book because it, it really details what these it's called tier and we'll, mm. we'll get into this obviously but what tier two organizations look like so what organizations mm. in this higher level development look like and it actually shows example it has case studies and actually shows the practical examples so um, you know I could I could cover I could cover I could cover a lot of uh, you know that the specifics, but honestly, his book just does such a better job, and it's so so much more detailed. But there's a lot of different um, there's a lot of uh, ways that as these organizations move into this higher level development, it impacts all the ways that they do business. It impacts the way that they think about the people within their organization, think about their customers, um, relate to competition, um, understand their own purpose as an organization. It's like when we when we mm. develop over when we completely develop. Um, when we, sorry, when we, um, you know, evolve our development, it, it changes how it changes all these aspects of how we live our life, how we relate to others, how we think about the world, how we think about ourselves. So it really has this sort of ripple effect on everything we do. So at teaching, mm. teaching organizations, this next level of development or consciousness, it's really helping them move into the next sort of the future of business, in my opinion. Yeah. One of the things I've found quite useful as well has been, um, when let's say you're talking to a red engineering company um, and, and they're saying they want to be, you know, all the words they're giving you are very clearly, oh, we want to be green. It's sort of like, okay, guys, you have to realize that this is a process. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's, there's, two, there's two more steps in this process before you're even going to embody green. Now we can talk a good game, but if you want to live this, we got to do some work and being able to actually articulate that and give a bit of a process for how long they're going to need to spend going through various stages rather than just hopping from red to green because that typically doesn't happen. Then at least people can see and understand that through development theory, through understanding something like spiral dynamics and how people grow over time gives people a, a better understanding of what to expect from each other and how to give permission to each other to grow as well. You know, it's, there's a bit of forgiveness in this as well, that, okay, no, that's okay. They're at that stage. They're going through this. They're understanding a lot more, all that kind of thing. Yeah, I think what would be really good, Trace, maybe if you walk us through the colours, because I know Dave's just spoken about a couple of colours, red mm. and green, and people are going at home probably going, what the hell are these guys talking about? And they're, you know, mm-hmm. talking about colours, colours about what? So maybe some context around if you take us on a journey from, you know, what you would see in organisations as kind of the base colour and um, what the, the sort of the, the highlighting of each of those stages are and what to look for and what to sound for to listen for throughout that progression because it might be a really good thing for people as you talk through the colours to go, okay, I can resonate with that, that happens at work, I can see that in this team and this in that team. So it might give some people 
some context for these kind of more descriptive discussions where we're using colors. If yeah, cool. People actually have a reference point. Take us through the colors. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to go through the colors. Um, his, I'm going to start going through them historically and show them how this development happened historically because that's really what Sprawl Dynamics mapped. Is it mapped, you know, the evolution of the, the psychological development historically? And then I'll, I'll get into each of these stages that I'm going to cover has a way that it looks in health and unhealth. So I'll first start with talking about um, historically how they how these how these stages transpired and then what these stages actually look like in a current day sort of health and unhealth context. So the first and, and while you're talking about it, um, what are we like? Obviously, people are, are going to be thinking about it in terms of its historical context, but they can probably also apply some of these pictures you're giving or these unhealth health stages to potentially times in their life or teams in their life that they've worked mm-hmm. in. That, have potentially sounded very familiar. Yep. So take it away. Yep. yep. And we'll pop a we'll pop a diagram with the associated colours and a little descriptor in the show notes as well. So yeah. when people kind of read through this, they've they've kind of got a little cheat sheet with them. Yep. So uh, so the first stage is called stage beige, and this is called the survival stage. So this is a stage when you think about the first humans. This is the first stage available to humans, and this was a stage where you think about like cave people. The stage is called, uh, like I said, the survival stage. It's just concerned about my own survival needs. So it's only concerned. It's not thinking about um, complex political issues, uh, complex you know societal dynamics. It's just worried about what do I need to do to get through the day. So um, beige is just uh, my my wa- drinking water, enough water, getting my food, getting shelter, getting safety. It's just taking care of my survival needs. So that's what that, that was what that stage looked like historically. This is the, the first and most primitive stage mapped in spiral dynamics. Now, if you look at the health of beige, it's like obviously beige is a very important stage um, because it's taking care of our survival needs. If we don't take care of our body's needs, um, then we uh, then we can't do anything. We can't think about we can't think about any sort of complex issues. It first starts with beige. So beige was just the survival stage, and then it moved from and then it moved to uh, what's called stage purple. And this is usually called the the magical stage. So these cave people in history um, came together and formed tribes and clans. And in stage purple, these tribes and clans uh, formed. Because these people, humans at this time, started noticing that the sun starts, the sun comes in um, at a certain time, uh, the moon comes in at a certain time of the day. Uh, sometimes there's sometimes there's rain. People started noticing all these changes in their environment, and they started to develop these ideas that there's a a rain god, a moon god, a sun god. They started seeing it's very the stage is very. Uh, ritualistic and and views the world as being uh, magical and all these things were changing their in their environment so they developed the the idea that they need to appease these gods and these forces out there in order to be rewarded so from from cave people and stage beige came then stage purple so stage purple is is very uh like i said kind of viewing the world as as magical and seeing all the seeing the environment, having an idea that there's some forces out there that I need to appease, and if I don't appease, I'm going to be punished, and my environment's going to punish me. Now, from stage per, I, I, I have this theory real quick, just to interrupt. I have this theory that ad agencies prey on purple. Yes. Um, uh, and so an ad agency is the witch doctor and you put things into the ad agency and they do their magic and they come back and they do something that no one in the business could do because they've got good processes and they run a decent business. But it's a lot of 
oh, wow, look at this. And it's like, oh, the rain will come when we give the ad agency what they need. It's very much a, a prey on purple and to drop people down into that space. Absolutely. And I think like a lot of times people hear, hear, hear purple and when you discuss it in a historical context, it's like it feels super primitive and like you just kind of picture mm. like I'm talking about tribes and clans kind of worshiping sun god. We take it to a modern context. How about the stock market? How many people talk about this like yeah. the stock market as this like force out there that I'm at the whims of, you know, I'm at the mercy of. Um, it's very mm. interesting how when we kind of take it to a modern context, we can see that a lot of people still have this idea of sort of forces out there that I'm at the mercy of and I need to appease. Um, so yep. again, as I'm sort of discussing the historical, we're seeing as it developed, as humans develop out through these stages historically, we can still see so many examples of this in modern day, which I just find, yeah. I find fascinating. So from states, it's awesome. yeah, it was, it's interesting to see the artifacts that each stage spits out and what, what remains yeah. as, as we move to the next stage collectively, there's always a set of artifacts that get spat out into the world at each stage. And I think it's something it's interesting to see that you see the stock market as an evolution of that. That's the kind of the modern day spit out of that stage that's mm. now still resonant with us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so from stage purple, then the, the third stage is stage red. Now stage red is all about uh, individualism and, and power and autonomy. So when these tribes and clans were formed, these tribes and clans are just feeling like they're at the mercy of these forces out there. Stage red is the emergence of people taking power and realizing that if they demonstrate that they have the most power, then they get the resources, they get what they want. So stage red is the emergence of like chieftains and leaders and people kind of consolidating power by being the most powerful. If, I ha if I'm the strongest, if I have the most weapons, then I take, um, then I take the most power uh, and, I get, and I get what I want. So stage red is this move to um, really kind of uh, powerful individuals consolidating power by demonstrating that they're the strongest. So again, like red is all about empowerment. Healthy red is all about empowerment and having that power within having your own individual sense of I and having the, the power to go and take what you want. Unhealth of red is trying to have power over others and dominate others. But stage red um, is this move away from the sort of tribes and clans of purple and actually this move into uh, I'm taking power. I'm the one I need to answer to. And it's the, it's the emergence of the concept of I and, 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 the, and the, really the concept of power and what that can get you. Um, now yeah, it makes me think of some bosses I've had in the past. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So like ex examples of examples of red are like, 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 uh, yeah, like bosses who are obviously, you know, trying to have power over others, you know, some more kind of like, uh, cartoonish examples. I mean, it's not really cartoons, but like, like mafia bosses. Um, you think of like, like red, um, red examples of red are like where there's, there's individuals who have, um, taken all their power and everyone needs to answer to them. Um, and so it's a very kind of chaotic, uh, a red, red societies are very chaotic and fragmented. Um, they're, they're, um, you see that you see, it's, it's rare to see red societies right now in the world, but there are red societies where there's just whoever is demonstrating that they can be the strongest is taking the most power. So it's a very fragmented, um, it's a very fragmented, uh, way of, way of, uh, a very fragmented society. Uh, now the, after red is the, is the fourth stage called stage blue. So stage blue is the emergence of large, uh, large collectives of people formed around a particular code or strict scripture or text. So stage blue is the emergence of nation states and religion. 
So stage blue is the emergence of um, building a whole collective over, um, uh, building a whole collective um, through worshiping some sort of specific code or text. So like the Bible, the Quran, the constitution, all these are examples of blue. So blue is, blue takes all of that chaotic kind of uh, energy of red and actually gives that energy something to, um, something to work for. And it gives that, that it gives someone a purpose and it gives someone a, a greater good to, to work towards. So some values of blue are like order, discipline, humility, delayed gratification on behalf of the greater good, uh, everyone being on the same page. Uh, blue historically is, like I said, the emergence of religions and large, um, large nation states and countries. Um, so, so blue was, blue was huge. And now if we also, we can also look at, there's this really interesting pattern uh, that the spiral goes on where it oscillates between, um, individual focused to collective and, and community focused. So like beige was all about my survival needs, individual focused. And then, like I said, purple was all about tribes and clans, more of a, we kind of collective focus. Red was this, this went back to being individual focus. Now the move to blue is more of a um, community collective focus. So it's really interesting how when these stages of, de uh, stages of development um, transpire, it oscillates between being uh, focused on just the individual and then more moving more toward community, which I find a, a really interesting pattern. Um, so I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna um, I'm gonna insert Apple into here because I think this is a really interesting thing to watch um, over over a couple of decades. So thinking late '90s. So one of the things I've found about working with organisations and and in particular ones who are either in blue or red, trying to get blue or or trying to integrate out of blue and into orange, which is what we'll talk about next, um, has been the existence, for lack of a narrative, or particularly in a, in a corporate context, you're actually looking for narrative. You're mm. looking for a story. You're looking for some unifying thing that binds everyone together. And there, I mean, I could go on for hours talking about the power of story, but um, the, the ability for a story like that to, um, to do that and what Apple did in the late 90s with the Think Different campaign and We Are The, we are the Crazy Ones and the, the Misfits, The Outcast, that kind of narrative that was individual in nature but called or rallied people out into a space where effectively for the next decade Apple would achieve, achieve, achieve in that, in that orange space and then we can get onto the other colours as well and probably pick that up. But I think it's an interesting one to, to watch, particularly through blue, orange, green, over the last 20 years where Apple's been a part of the public narrative in that space as well. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic point. Yeah, because blue is all about having some sort of um, story that everyone's bought into. There's some sort of overarching yeah. story that everyone's bought into. Um, so blue in, blue in health is really beautiful because blue is everyone being on the same page and everyone having a purpose mm -hmm. within a, within a um, structure. Blue in unhealth is the sort of dogma and the sort of us versus them mentality that we see in a lot we of... We do it this way here, kind of, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. a lot yeah. of work I do with people is helping people come from uh, very strict blue environments uh, and it's sort of helping them move out of those blue environments. And well, lots of times, most people I work with have moved out of the blue environments, but the spiral really is helping them make sense of why you know they move past their community and their family and they feel like kind of all alone in their development. Cause it's like, why doesn't anyone get me? And it's actually like, well, you're just going through these natural stages of development. So mm. with that said, let's, let's get to, uh, so the next stage is stage orange. So stage orange came on the scene with the like scientific revolution, 
um, the industrial revolution. Stage orange is called the logic stage. So stage orange is all about using uh, logic, reason, rationality, using that left brain to formulate evidence-based conclusions and, and using evidence to inform our thinking rather than just believing whatever that blue structure or story was saying. So stage orange is like um, a lot of times the state, the classic sort of move from blue to orange that we see a lot of times is that person that grew up in like a fundamentalist religious environment. And then they go like hardcore atheist when they move to orange, you know, cause orange is all mm. about like, um, you know, I need evidence for that. So orange is, is science. Um, and, and stage orange brought forth so many uh, modern luxuries and technologies that we uh, enjoy today because it's, it's brought forth so many uh, breakthroughs in medicine and scientific technologies. It's all using the, the rational, logical tools of the brain uh, to, to build things and analyze things and, and um, critically think about things. So stage orange was huge for the development of, of humanity because stage orange brought forth a whole new way to think about things and understand things. Um, and so would you say then, just dropping back a stage, kind of blue is like most large sort of first world governments or most governments kind of exist at blue and it's kind of like the fallback protection basis that we have and then most sort of first world nations would be considered their baseline would kind of be here at orange? Absolutely, yeah. So most, most developed countries are at center of gravity, stage orange. And center of gravity just refers to the main stage that a group or a person um, is at. So no, no one is ever solely at one stage because we're, we're all way too complex um, and, and intricate human beings to be just labeled at one stage. So the term center of gravity is just to say that each, every person and group sort of has a, a main stage that informs most of their perspective and most of their thinking. So most of the developed world has a center of gravity at stage orange. Um, with mm. like, so here in the United States, for example, um, the center of gravity is stage orange. If you go to a like more liberal, progressive, or if you go to a more conservative area of the country, you're going to be like stage orange with a lot of blue. If you go to a more liberal, progressive area of the country, you're going to go to stage orange with a little more green. And we're going to get into green in a second. Uh, but yeah, that's a great yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, that's a great question, Pete. Um, definitely, uh, orange orange is huge for understanding. Uh, societal and cultural dynamics because it informs so much of our orange is kind of the waters that a lot of us grow up in. Um, so this is a mm. really important stage for understanding how we orient ourselves towards life, how we think about things. I mean, the education system is very orange. So our education system got us thinking in very orange ways and oriented ourselves towards life in very orange ways. Um, definitely orange. Most organizations would probably be at orange that's kind of the main meaning making system of business is really an organizations is kind of smack bang right in the middle of orange absolutely most organizations are 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 at orange yeah that's what the the reinventing organizations book shows is is what these orange what orange organizations look like what their practices look like and then what this next stage um how this next stage is changing those practices and moving them from orange to yeah so so bringing up orange and talking about kind of the the um I guess the cohesion of logic and reason and scientific revolution and the industrial revolution, all of a sudden there's a whole lot of people that have been listening to this with one ear have gone, no, hang on, you're making sense. All of a sudden this is, yep, I'm in. Why, why, tell me why I shouldn't just park my bus here at Orange. Like why is, like all this makes sense, why move on? Mm -hmm. This is rational, this is meaningful, this is, yep. yeah, why, why, why go any further? Why go any further than, than objective, evidence-based? Awesome hyper-orange. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
That's a, that's, that's a fantastic question. Um, and my answer, um, if, if this feels like to you, this feels like the place where you would park at, um, I don't know how much you'll like my, my answer for why you should move on, you know? Um, uh, I, the logic and rationality are great tools to have and to draw upon. Obviously, we all use logic and rationality. Anyone that's doing anything mildly successful or effective in their lives are, are using orange in their lives and using orange thinking. Um, there, if you are viewing the world only through a paradigm of logic and rationality and everything has to have scientific proof and everything has to fit within this orange box, I think you're missing a lot of the deeper aspects of, of reality, some of the intangible aspects of reality. Um, if you've had those, those moments in your life in which you're um, you know, most lit up, whether it was your kid being born, whether it was falling in love, um, if I asked you to explain those experiences just with a logical and rational mind and just break it down in scientific terms, you're kind of losing the spirit of those moments, you know, if I, you know, falling, falling in love with your partner, if I just said, you know, that's just neurons interacting in your brain, you're kind of, um, it's diminishing the spirit of that. We can't actually just describe the most beautiful and profound aspects of reality just through this paradigm of logic and rationality and reason. Um, and, and like I said, logic and rationality and reason is great, but they're actually the deepest aspects of reality are actually that which transcend those and go beyond those. Mm. Um, and these higher levels of development that we're going to get into don't, um, they don't, they don't just, they don't ignore logic and rationality. They've just included them and gone beyond them. So it's what's called, um, the term, uh, that Ken Wilber has used called transrational. It actually goes beyond rationality by including it. Um, so that's yeah. what to me, um, just connecting to the deepest aspects of life and reality actually go beyond this orange paradigm. And you, you still include all the beautiful aspects of orange. They're just our higher levels of development than just thinking only with your mind. Um, and only there's, there's feeling with the heart and intuition and there's other ways of knowing just um, other than just knowing with the head. Yeah. And I find when I work with, with clients and with organizations and teams, and when we talk about orange, it's, it's, there's some really clear indicators and I, I almost term, I term it, and may, maybe I didn't invent the term, I picked it up along the way, where people talk about burnt orange, where they get to the end of orange and I've got the executive job, I've got the executive pay, I've got three houses, four cars, and I'm still miserable, what's next? Yep. And mm. so they, they, they find they come to the end of orange and it's kind of like, well, then, well, there's got to be more than this because I've just, society's told me or orange has told me what I need to do to be happy and I've gone and done all of that and I'm still not happy. So mm. what do I do next? And, 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 and I think in that, like this week we had the Are You OK Day? Yeah. This, this week here in Australia and um, I'm not sure whether that's in the US as well, Trace, but it's a mental health awareness week. That should be um, here. We don't have it here. It should yeah. be here though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it, it made me reflect on, on a similar journey. Not, not quite the same, but you know, there, there's that element of striving to improve and striving mm. to achieve that sits at that orange level that, to be honest, post-pandemic, there's quite a few people out there who have who have rubbed up against the edge of burnout. They've mm, been yeah. at that place, and as someone who's gone through that and taken six months to get out the other end of it, mm. it's one of those things where really it's been the invitation to green that's got me out of that. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's yeah. that's 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 really powerful. Yeah, and I, I I love both the points you you both brought up. Pete, you bring up the the really 
important point of sometimes these stages, you actually have to live through them all the way and actually reach the limitation of them. So you actually, you know, if, if, if you're in orange, you don't, you don't always, sometimes you have to live through orange fully and, and get the, get the nice car and get the nice job and make the money and see that there's actually, you know, once you get all of that, then it's actually, okay, what's next? There has to be something more than just this. Um, and I think a lot of people are waking up to the fact that, um, this sort of orange paradigm that a lot of people are in of life is just about acquiring material things and being successful. It's like they get those things and then they still kind of feel hollow and incomplete. And they realize that there's actually other, you know, there's other things to life and there's other levels of development than just, um, kind of, uh, thinking about the world through this paradigm and only acquiring, uh, just and just kind of seeking to to have success and acquire material things. There's actually so much more to that to that than this. But oftentimes people need to go through that whole process of living that. So for for me, that was attending UCLA. Um, you know, it's the top public university in the in in the U.S. here. Um, and I was it was like a bastion of orange. It was the 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 academic system is so orange, and I it felt so it it honed my skills in a lot of ways, which orange does. It made me a better researcher, made me a better, um, it made me think more critically in certain ways, uh, but it felt so hollow and soulless. All the, 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 all the students that I was going to school with, it felt like they were just treating everything like a means to an end. They were, they were sort of perplexed that I was even passionate about some of the material I was learning in my political science classes because they didn't even really understand the concept of being passionate about what you're learning about. They just only saw school as just, oh, I'm just checking off this box so that I can get a job and make money and, and you know, have a life. There was like no sort of deeper sort of um, deeper engagement with the material, deeper engagement with life itself. It felt very kind of hollow and soulless. So I felt like I was just lived through this like this sort of uh, bastion of orange thinking and orange orientation towards life, which really showed me like, man, this, this, this whole orange game can really help you in a lot of ways and hone your skills, but it ultimately is, it can, it's limited and it, it can actually limit you from fully, you know, participating and engaging with life fully. Yeah. And I think the, the powerful thing about orange is that we've, we've had a narrative for orange and we haven't really got a social narrative for anything beyond that. Mm. And so I think going beyond orange is kind of like the diving board move for a lot of people. They kind of can see over the edge and they're not quite sure about what comes next because we don't have any social stories for beyond orange. Although now I would suggest we're starting to get, you know, green is starting to be, we've got a social narrative for that. So there's somewhere safe to go now where mm. for people in the past, it's been something that they've had to figure out for themselves, which is why that green is that really individualistic uh, drive forward where people have to find out what the world means for themselves. There's no narrative they can pick up. They have to self-create. And I think that's the, and only find that out by going deeper into themselves. And a lot of coaching work I do is around that transition going from orange over into green. So. Yeah. Yeah. Great point. And I think, I think one of the other things about orange is that orange, um, Orange works in a lot of ways. Orange, orange seems to people like it's a place to park because orange, you know, orange is about science and science works in a lot of ways. And science has explained a lot for us. And science has brought us technologies and orange, and orange has brought us so many things that it's like, you know, why wouldn't I park here? It's great here. And it actually takes the sort of 
living through it to actually see the limitations of it. So I think that's why it's so entrenched as a center of gravity in our culture today, because it works in a lot of ways, which is great. It's brought us so, forth so many things, but when we just stay there and park there, um, we're actually kind of limiting ourselves from actually experiencing um, the higher stages and some of the deeper aspects. So, so now's when I want to bring back Apple, because I think this is a really interesting transition. So we mentioned before <clears throat> about blue and narrative and introducing um, where the crazy ones and think different and that becoming kind of galvanizing statement for the beginning of the Apple revolution in the early 2000s. And then orange, they sort of went orange as the iPad and the iPhone and everything kind of came on board and there was this real mantra of there's an app for that. Like everything you want to do, you can achieve by building an app or having an app or there's an app for that. What I find really interesting now that we kind of transition into green is if you think about Apple's social narrative now, we're talking... Um, LGBTQ pride, we're talking environmental sustainability and recycling, and we're talking privacy. Mm. They're kind of the three main pillars of what Apple's got now that have nothing to do with there's an app for that and nothing to do with we're the crazy ones. We're now this big behemoth that is integrating our social responsibility as a part of our story. And Apple's really interesting because they sold green long before there was a social narrative for green. Yeah, so they've yeah. actually pitched into the future quite substantially and you've watched their market share increase as the population has evolved out of orange to more green. Mm. And so what's been really interesting about them is they've pitched that future-focused idea and then the population Almost has grown into their Waited ideas. for the status quo to come into it. Absolutely. And their mm. market share has increased as society's moved on that meaning-making trajectory. You know, I remember when... 10 years ago when I was a PC fan and then you know, someone said to me, oh, why don't you get an Apple? And I was like, oh, those things are just terrible. And then I eventually ended up getting one and I was like, what have I been doing with my life? Like, <laughs> this is amazing. It's so much easier. It's so intuitive. It's so user-focused rather than just kind of orange-focused like a lot of Microsoft products are where it's just about scale and complication and just complexity as opposed to individually focused and simplicity. You know, like that Simon Sinek... Uh, video where it's got, you know, they sell why. So they sell green first rather than what, which is selling the orange, mm. which is what Microsoft does. So it's really interesting. Apple's a really interesting uh, case study Example. in this, in the yeah. evolution of, of Spiral. Mm. Yeah, I think, that, I think that was one of the geniuses of Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was very interested in uh, Eastern spirituality and some of the more yogic traditions. And I feel like he brought the all the technology and innovation of orange but he brought a simple like a sort of poetic simplicity to all that technology mm -hmm. that's really powerful um I, I i was even admiring my iphone today i was like how i don't i don't think i take a second to stop but take a step back and just admire how beautiful this phone is like it's a gorgeous phone we all have these iphones mm -hmm. that we you know we, we we walk around with and it's like we're kind of used to them because they're so common but like what a what a um what a design and what a just like a, there's a poetic simplicity to when you open up that box um, that's really powerful. Mm -hmm. I know that's a little bit of a side note about the genius of Steve Jobs, but um, mm -hmm. so when, stage green now. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. Sweet. Let's do it. So, let's, so let's after, jump off the diving board <laughs> after, so after stage uh, orange is stage green. Now stage green really came on the scene in like the, the 1950s, 1960s um, with, with the, the civil rights movement, the women's liberation movement, uh, LGBTQIA, uh, stage green is about equality and it's very pluralistic. And it's about uh, the fact that it views that every person 
has their own story that deserves to be seen, acknowledged, and heard. And every person has a, a birthright um, to be valued and seen and heard. So stage green is, is the emergence of all these social justice movements and equality movements. So just like orange, we have so much to thank um, to, to green for, for the, some of the things we enjoy today, for some of the, the social justice mm -hmm. movements that we enjoy and the, the progressive movements. Uh, so stage green is a little bit, stage orange is, is very in the head, um, very left brain thinking. Stage uh, green is more of a move into the right brain thinking and a more of a move into the heart. So stage green is about having love for everyone, compassion, empathy. It's about viewing that, uh, that everyone uh, is, is equal just because they're a human. So stage green is a really beautiful stage that brings forth uh, a lot of equality and a lot of tolerance towards others um, and just acceptance of different viewpoints and acceptance of um, people from all different types of, and walks of life. Mm. What, one of the things I want to point out here, because I, I find this really entertaining, is that while the center of gravity for any organization is probably around the orange, mm -hmm. if you go into that organization, the center of gravity for what you would call the corporate affairs office or in, in other contexts would be like investor relations or... Um, market communications or anything like that are deeply, deeply green. Mm. Like yep. the public narrative needs to be inclusive. It needs to be flexible. It needs to be relative. It needs to be aware of what's going on in the market. And I, I find that um, that tension really interesting. You'll talk to um, you know a production or an engineering team, and they'll talk about how they're busy building this thing, and if only. You know, if only corporate affairs got what we're trying to do, they wouldn't stop talking such a silly game. But probably what they're what they're not realizing or or unable to reach into is that um, the game that that is being played at that corporate affairs office is a far different game, or made up of a lot of a, a, a lot of different points that that particular team aren't being paid to solve. Yeah, yeah, the fantastic point. Um, you see, it's very interesting to watch the way that as green has really entered the spotlight and really became a dominant stage of consciousness, you see so many orange companies realizing that they have to sort of have a green message to, to keep up with the game. Mm -hmm. Like you see the classic example is like, you know, all these, these corp massive corporations having like, like pride flags for their logo. Um, you see the way mm -hmm. that as green became uh, a really uh, a stage of consciousness that a lot of people were moving to. It's like, we, we have to, as a, as a corporation, we have to incorporate these green values now into our um, way of being. We have to talk about how we're taking care of the planet and promoting planet sustainability. We have to talk mm -hmm. about how we're, you know, including diverse voices and we're hiring from minority communities. You just see the way that um, as this, this development happened, it's like you literally companies and businesses had to adapt. They were forced to adapt because otherwise you just get left behind, um, which is really interesting to see how, um, you know, see how all these different people have adapted to, and, the, and these organizations have adapted to green coming on the scene. Mm. I thought it was really interesting. Um, it, it makes me think of the, the Greta Thunberg mm, phenomenon, definitely. right? You've got, you've got a young, like really young, challenging every ageist possible, very young spokesperson who speaks powerfully about the environment and she's a f and and she speaks. F so you've got multiple kind of green value sets colliding under one person that becomes kind of a spokesperson for the green revolution. That's a lot of the reason I think I put down to 
um, her rise to fame and <coughs> the support she got globally for that kind of work is the the meta consciousness move to green and looking for um, spokespeople that that stood for more than just one value like just someone talking about the environment's great but a female who happens to be in a unexpected age group talking about the environment that's like a three in one slam dunk mm -hmm. yeah and that's puts a new term around greenwashing right where mm. most orange organizations talk about environment as greenwashing but it's actually almost spiral greenwashing as mm. well where they start talking about the values of green to kind of make as a covert cover for just making more money rather than actually genuinely exploring it as mm. a uh, an evolutionary progression toward their organization mm. yeah that 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 was i was gonna say i was gonna say something along those lines too of like it's it's really um, whether or not those organizations are actually moving into green and actually going through that developmental process <laughs> or they're actually just realizing like hey we need to do this um, i think that's why a lot of people um, react against when they can feel like a big corporation kind of using some of that green messaging like when some big with, with McDonald's or something puts a, a pride flag or something and people like give them a bunch of, there's a bunch of a reaction against that. It's like, I think people can intuitively feel when it feels super fake. Like when a, when an organization or a business is just using some of that green language, using some of that green rhetoric, just because as like a, just to kind of further their, um, further their profits. And they're not actually, yeah. um, act, they're not actually sort of sinking into the heart and moving that level of development themselves. They're just kind of like, uh, weaponizing it um, and I think that mm. this is where people who have like identity politics comes into play and why a lot of people react against identity politics is when people are using identity politics as um, you know like as they're kind of weaponizing it so for example here in the US like like Raytheon uh, or Boeing which is like one of our, our one of the companies that two of the companies that make um, our military weapons are talking about how you know black voices or minority voices at Raytheon or Boeing, and it's like these are these are people, these are companies that are making uh, weapons that were then bombing people overseas. But you know we're promoting diversity within these organizations. It's like totally out of whack and like totally you know <laughs> like you it's see the, the diversity. Yeah, the weaponization of green really rubs people the wrong way because I think they're just having an intuitive mm. feeling that it's really fake and not coming from a real place. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I think that kind of draws us to, to yellow, but I, I, I want to pause here because the, the transition to yellow is a pretty important transition, right? It, it kind of is a bit different to the rest. That's the end of today's episode. Thanks for listening. What's Next is brought to you by The Next. We are workplace futurists and transformation facilitators. You can reach us on the web at www.thenextnxt.com.au. Please ensure you subscribe to our channel to ensure you don't miss our up-and-coming episodes.